Welcome to the At The Coalface podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. This podcast is all about what it's really like in the trenches of digital and e-commerce. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Pod. I have an episode that I've been working to tee up for a few months now because I've been really keen to get these guys on The Pod, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. I hope you really enjoy it. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. Welcome, Andy Muntean from Inveterate. Welcome to The Pod, mate. Oh, thank you for having me. So excited to be here. I've, I've been really excited to join. Obviously, scheduling issues have been a bit of a challenge, but being here and having the opportunity to talk about things that we love is a good use of my time, and I'm hoping it's a good use of your time and everybody that listens. I think it's going to be an amazing conversation. I've been watching from afar. Big fan of you. Big fan of Dylan. Big fan of how you guys teased Inveterate before it launched, how you guys have effectively done a whole bunch of guerrilla guerrilla marketing around the platform, how you have created this this quote-unquote evil side of our industry that you guys are out to, to fix and correct and disrupt. But before we get into the product and the platform and all the crazy stuff you guys are doing, let's maybe just talk very briefly about you, your background. You are, you've got a pretty stellar background in e-commerce, in digital, chief of staff for BVA, director of Chillis Capital, investing in mostly consumer brands and retail tech co-founder of C-Star Provisions, which you were a pure play Wagyu and Angus beef jerky retailer, which is pretty cool, manufacturer and retailer, VP of product for Retention Rocket, now head of product for Inveterate. You really, you've got a pretty solid pedigree of working across tech, digital, investment, entrepreneurship. Basically, you have landed what might perhaps be considered the perfect place for you? I would like to think so. It's been a journey, definitely not uh, without its speed bumps. But like I said, or you said, I've spent my entire career in e-commerce, touching that agency side, that brand side, obviously the SaaS side. And so having that kind of 360 degree view of e-commerce has been a dream of mine. When I first uh, moved to California, grew up in Pennsylvania, I went to Penn State, got on the next plane, a thousand bucks in my pocket and in a suitcase and, and landed in California. I was like, yeah, I don't, what am I going to do out here? This is a land of opportunity. And once I dug my heels in a little bit and started understanding the business world, I saw that there was this huge opportunity within e-commerce. And so that's when I had met Dylan, Dylan Whitman, who was the founder and CEO of BBXL, which is a e-commerce agency in San Diego. We were one of the largest e-commerce agencies, specifically within the Shopify space. And that would have been early, early Shopify. And so we're talking 2015, 2016, when everybody was still on these legacy platforms like Magento and Salesforce and so forth. And everyone said, oh, you're crazy. Shopify is not really the future of of e-commerce. It's not scalable. The enterprise level brands are going to want to work on it. And then obviously here we are today with the Shopify ecosystem being one of the, if not the, actually the, what am I saying? It is the number one e-commerce enabler for uh, these direct consumer brands. And having that opportunity to work alongside Dylan, learn from Dylan, he was obviously the trailblazer for a lot of that industry in those early days, gave me my my footing and, and also taught me a ton about how to become disruptive. And I don't want to say just reckless when it comes to social media, because obviously I'm a little bit more reserved, but Dylan's presence on social media was so inspiring. 
and the way that he was able to change the minds of so many people in so many big brands. We're looking at brands like Chubby's and Kylie Cosmetics, Rebecca Minkoff, Red Bull, Movement Watches, Untuck It. The list goes on. All of these brands were like, yes, this is really the future. Shopify is the future of e-commerce. And so to start indoctrinating myself in that rebellious type of dude was, was very cool. So when we started to dig into Inveterate. Obviously, Dylan is a co-founder with my CTO, Sam Webb, who's a hell of a guy. And they were like, oh, we have this idea. Do you want to come on board, run product with us? And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I do. This looks uh, incredible. But we took this alternate path where we're like, we see all these SaaS products, specifically within e-commerce, but it, it extends further than that, where these brands, the, the SaaS brands are all cookie cutter. They're all cut from the same cloth. And that's just not who we are. We have always been contrarian from a branding perspective where we're like, if we're going to disrupt, let's disrupt. And so if you look at the way that we've created our website, if you look at the way that we've done ourselves as the antithesis to traditional loyalty programs, it's going to upset some people. But at the same time, it opens the door for people to start thinking differently. So if we look back, Shopify compared to Magento, Inveterate compared to traditional loyalty programs, point systems, subscription products, things like that. We're really aiming to change how people think about customer loyalty. And so that's really exciting. Man, what a journey. And you are, I have long railed, I guess my thinking is similar to the vein of thinking that you guys have gone down, which is that I have long railed against loyalty programs for loyalty sake. And my argument has always been that the vast majority of brands, even ones that I've worked with directly, simply cannot differentiate their loyalty programs. They have zero differentiating factors in their loyalty programs. And so they're actually hemorrhaging margin for no good reason at all. They're actually not creating any form of loyalty. But what they are doing is they're giving away the farm in terms of margin for no good reason. And that it's not making the brand any stickier in the process. So why do it? And that, I think, has been validated. If you look at most of the major brands in the world, retail brands, D2C brands, et cetera, that have a quote-unquote loyalty program, something like 90-plus percent of them are of the spend, earn, spend variety. And typically, the only thing that differentiates them is the expiry date or the expiry duration of the points and the conversion rate of points to dollars in terms of value. And that's really the only thing that differentiates them. And occasionally, You'll have a little bit more differentiation where maybe you'll get something else tangible other than spender and spend. Maybe you'll qualify for discounted shipping or maybe you'll qualify for special promotions, something like that. But typically, what I find is that the vast majority of retailers out there simply cannot differentiate their loyalty programs because it is already costing them money just to deliver the spender and spend portion of their loyalty program. So they really can't throw in any other value adds to further differentiate what they're doing. And so therefore, why bother doing it? And we even see this in, in, in food and everything else. We're seeing this rise of loyalty over the last decade. But the net result is that everybody's doing the exact same thing in that cookie cutter fashion. And as a result of that, there's no longer any value for any one of them, particularly that's doing it. And so I have always long felt that the, our industry would, would be forced to evolve, led largely by brands like Amazon and their Prime program, where they are supremely differentiated. And although they have continued to raise the price of their Prime program over the last few years, they continue to add new features and new benefits of being a member of Prime at a faster rate than what they're raising the price of the program. And so therefore, it's an absolute no-brainer to be a part of Prime. And I've long viewed Amazon as a leader in the pack 
of retail, of loyalty, of creating stickiness through membership programs. And so when I saw Dylan first starting to talk about what he was trying to build long before Inveterate even existed, I thought this is something I can get behind. This is something that resonates. This is something that I have seen firsthand over and over again. And so it's pretty exciting to see you guys actually doing something about it. Yeah, no, 100%. I agree with everything that you just said, specifically around Amazon Prime. Prime was the original e-commerce membership. You pay $10 a month or 100 bucks a year. You get free two-day shipping, access to Prime-only products, and so forth. And so obviously, when we look at all of these direct-to-consumer brands, they are a large majority of them are selling on Amazon because they have to. They have to, one, because that's where their shoppers or their customers are buying from, or two, they don't want to get ripped off by another company that is, or another group of people that are trying to take advantage of the market share that they've already earned. And so when we look at direct consumer specifically in Shopify e-commerce, it hasn't existed. And so there hasn't been a way to create this loyalty channel or this retention channel like membership because it one has been very expensive to do. And so any of the programs that you've seen before a solution like Inveterate has come out has been completely built from scratch. And so we're talking multiple third-party vendors. We're talking six to eight to 12 months of development strategy, design, and so forth. And we're looking at six figures to build a program like that. And that's a static program. And so that means that if they want to make changes to the benefits that they offer, they want to make changes to their landing pages. They want to make changes to the way that they're marketing it they have to do that manually. And so that was like, boom, right now, light bulb off in our heads. How can we create a solution through software, through a Shopify app that facilitates the enablement of iteration, actually creation, iteration, and so forth of these programs where now they're not static, but they can continue to evolve. And so I always say it's easier to add benefits to a membership program, then take them away. If you're a paying member of a membership program and you have these benefits and all of a sudden you want to take those away, look at Am Amex, right? So they have Amex Platinum for, to be specific, they have had this wonderful loyalty program over many years now, and you had all these wonderful benefits. And then all of a sudden now economy is starting to hit and so forth. They're taking benefits away. People are pissed. On the direct consumer side, if you wanted to do that by building a custom from scratch program, you all of a sudden you have to redesign everything. You have to do a bunch of custom development. You have to adjust and negotiate with your vendors on the, the fees that, that you're paying them and so forth. Our solution allows you to just immediately change those within your platform, add new benefits, crawl, walk, run, start with a baseline program, continue to layer on more benefits, layer on tiers. And so now you're part of the, the bronze tier, upgrade to the silver tier or to the gold tier. It's a pay to play model, right? And so with a solution that allows you to do that from a software perspective, it becomes so much easier for these brands to test, iterate, and then roll out new options. But if we look at the retention market in general right now, or just the paid channels that exist within e-commerce, acquisition costs are through the roof. And so people are paying exorbitant amounts of money to acquire new customers but that's always been the model for e-commerce. How many people can we get to buy our product through Facebook ads, through Google ads, through Instagram, now through TikTok and so forth, while not paying attention. Don't get me wrong, the good brands are paying attention, but so many of these brands weren't paying attention to how do I increase the lifetime value of these customers? And so that was one of the things that we're really focused on or that we were really focused on and continue to be focused on when we're building the, the feature set for our software, 
with the mindset of how do we help a merchant become as successful as possible in retaining and growing those LTVs, those AOVs, and all of those buzzword metrics that we all follow so closely. But to back up for a second, if we look at the traditional loyalty programs, and you look at any e-commerce brand's tech stack, they're checking boxes. Everybody's been checking boxes for so long. I got to have a review platform. I've got to have my, my, my loyalty program. I've got to have my subscription program. And they have all of these apps. But why does it re really help move those metrics that you're really focusing on to drive business and drive revenue and drive the uh, the value of your company. If you're just checking boxes because you read in a Facebook group or you, everybody else is doing it, it's keeping up with the Joneses. There's no real reason that you need that loyalty point program or you need that subscription-based program where people are buying all these products and they're filling their pantries with uh, this one product that they don't actually even need that much of. And they're like, I'm paying it every month and it's a pain in the ass to, to cancel it. What do I do? Now I've got a full pantry. Now I've got so much of this product. It's all broken. And so let's step back and say, how do we fix that? And so what we like to say at, uh, at Inveterate is that we've got subscribed to the product, which is what we've seen through subscription products. Let's subscribe to the brand. We live in a very aspirational society. People buy products for two reasons. One, because they're good, or two, because they want to be associated with buying that product. Of course, we can go down rabbit holes about the different branches of why people buy products, but at the true core of psychology, it's for one of those two reasons, or both of those reasons. And so now if we can give them access and give them the same types of perks or benefits that they would have gotten from a subscription program where they're, you know, saving 20% on this product and you're getting it delivered every month or on a regular cadence or whatever that cadence may be, that's all good and fine. But now let's open up the entire collection or a portion of the collection that now when I know I need something or I'm getting low, I don't have to wait for it to be delivered. I can go to the website right now, get the same savings plus additional experiential benefits. And now my buyer experience has completely changed. Now I feel like this VIP where I have this access to a brand that I know I love because our product is great is because I want to see people or I want people to see me using that product. And so it just, it really gives that one FOMO effect, but two, it gives that like true love and, and loyalty to the, uh, the products and brands that, that fuel our consumer lives. Yeah, look, you covered a lot of territory there and that, that really gives us a good foundation and segue into where I went with my thinking around the concept of membership, the concept of loyalty. How do we tie these together? How do we help make customers more sticky with brands out of desire as opposed to out of pressure? And so what the, one of the first things I did was to look up the definition of inveterate. I knew it was a real word, but I couldn't remember what the definition of the word was. And so it says, having a particular habit, activity, or interest that is long established and unlikely to change of a feeling or a habit, for example, long established and unlikely to change, the inveterate hostility between the two countries was not, was not easily eradicated. So obviously what we're trying to do is we're trying to entrench behaviors in such a way that this becomes part of our normal lives. And so when I think about the psychology, the customer psychology, the human psychology, Behind the concept of a membership program, I know in my own life, if I look at the membership programs that I've been a part of before, and I don't know if you have in North America, I can't actually remember whether you have a book called The Entertainment Book. And this is effectively a book that is brands pay to be listed in the book. And they are, and it's usually hospitality brands. So it's mostly restaurants, hotels, activities, et cetera. And you buy this book 
you pay $60 for the book. And then it's got something like $50,000 worth of savings in it, right? And all these different restaurants are giving you 20% off, 50% off, buy one, get one free. They offer different tiers of benefits of using those coupons. But what I found was, is that even though the, the entertainment book is relatively cheap, it's only 60 bucks, man, do we use it. And there's this psychological thing, I think, with most humans where when we spend money for something, we're going to bloody well get the most possible value. We're going to wring every drop of value we can out of that spend, right? And so when you look at the entertainment book, sure, it may only cost 60 bucks, and I may have got that 60 bucks back in savings after just two meals, but man, then I think all the savings beyond that for the rest of the 12 months is just gravy for me. It's over and above the money that I spent, right? So I'm gonna, every single opportunity I have to use that book, I'm gonna use that book because I've already spent the money. It's already, it's I've already flushed that money down the drain. I'm not gonna get it back. So I'm gonna maximize the value that I get for my money. So it's actually, it is a subtle leveraging of that human psychology of value and extracting value that the concept of membership taps into. Absolutely. And on that point, I'm a big skier. So I've skied my entire life. I try to ski every day that I can get out. I live here in Utah. And so I'm real close to all the major uh, mountains, but they, they have these passes, the Epic Pass, the Icon Pass. And so people buy these and they get access to a number of resorts, but pretty pricey passes, up, up, upwards of $1,000 per year to, to buy this pass. And somebody might buy it and realize that I don't really like skiing, but I spent $1,000. So I'm going to book every trip that I possibly can to get as much out of this pass as possible. And I'm going to hit as many mountains as I can. I don't love skiing. I like being outside. I like the idea of skiing, but I'm still going to do it because I paid for it. And so if we look at direct to consumer, we look at e-commerce, we look at retail, this could extend to media. If we look at Netflix and so forth, you have that membership, you're paying that fee, you're going to use it. It's like going to the country club. You have a country club membership and you don't like the food, but you pay for it. And so you better believe that we're going to go eat dinner there. And so you continue to spend more and more trying to justify the fact that you've already committed this upfront cash or this upfront money, whether it's upfront or whether it's on a recurring basis to experience those things. And so it's go back to psychology. I love psychology. I have degrees in psychology and so forth. And so that's like what a huge nerd about it. It's that, that feeling of having to fulfill a, a desire based on the amount of money that you've already spent. And then you end up spending way more anyway. So no, it's good. And how did you guys, like when you were thinking of setting this up now, you guys have been up and running just over a year now, SaaS platform specifically for Shopify. As far as I know, you don't integrate yet into any other e-commerce platforms. Otherwise I suspect that may be on the cards in the future. I'm guessing that because you guys with BVA had been in the Shopify ecosystem for so long, you understood the platform very well. It was a natural first cab off the rank to become part of the Shopify ecosystem and app ecosystem. So that makes complete sense. But I guess when you decided to create this platform, and because you really are leading the product charge, leading the roadmap for the technology, how did you decide what your MVP was going to look like in terms of what you would launch with phase one? It's a good, a very good question. It was, there were a number of different factors. One, we had built these programs in the past for clients on the agency side. And so we knew exactly what, what worked and what didn't work, what people were looking for. We ran a lot of customer surveys. And so we were really trying to understand, would this be something that someone is interested in implementing if you, from the buyer or the customer perspective, is this something you would pay for? And those surveys came back and they were absolutely incredible. Everybody 
was for the majority, we're talking 75% of the top cohorts for a lot of these brands were saying, yes, we want a membership program. And so the, the next question, the next natural question is, what would you like to see from that? And is that a shipping benefit? Are we using that Amazon Prime model where you're paying X amount of dollars per month or per year to unlock the two-day two free shipping? Do you care about customer service and having priority queue? Nothing is worse than sitting in a, a queue online for any given brand, whether it's a computer like Dell or whether it's phone service, your internet service, your cable or your, your gas and electric companies, nothing is worse than that. So would you be willing to pay to have that, that, that priority access to customer service? Would you like to have early access to new products? Do you love this brand? And so if we look at a Supreme or we look at any of the footwear brands that are out there that are doing exclusive or doing drops on a regular basis, would you pay more to have access to these, to these products as short as 15 minutes early before anyone else? And everyone said, yes. And so when we look at that data from the surveys, but we also look at the data from what we had seen in the past from the agency side, but then also from the merchant side, I've been a merchant, I've built brands, I've been able to sell products. I know what I am looking for to really capture that top cohort and extend their lifetime value. What are the benefits that we're looking for at that point? So a lot of it was based on empirical data, but a lot of it was also what do we know in our experience that there's want and that merchants can, can benefit from? And if we look back to your original point about these loyalty programs, it's, they're giving away the farm. And so how can we, one, collect a fee up front, which is found money, then also increase LTV and so forth from there, any of those metrics that we always talk about, how can we increase all those numbers at a rapid clip? And so that was how we like took this thesis or this idea behind memberships from a very basic level and then started getting more granular with what do people actually want? What is going to add value to their lives and make it worth for them to pay to be part of a program and then also share it with their friends and share it with their family and say, hey, look, I'm a member of very brand or ex apparel brands membership program. These are the benefits I get. I pay, you know, 20 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a year. And then all of a sudden, I'm actually saving hundreds of dollars, but at the same time, the brand is adding to that lifetime value to their bottom line from the membership fee upfront, of course, but also from those repeat purchases. And so how do we increase those repeat purchase rates? So that's really what we were focused on early on. And now if we look at the roadmap, we have these large merchants, super enterprise level Shopify brands that constantly looking at their analytics and looking at the numbers that they're trying to improve, it always points back to retention. What are the things that they're trying to do? What are the disruptive things that they're looking to try? And then, okay, let's see how we can fit that into our roadmap. So I like to, to structure the roadmap from one, like I said, empirical data, but two, also merchant feedback and what are they seeing on that ground level from their customers and what are their customers looking for? So it's a hybrid model that, that I like to run with between the data and merchant and customer feedback. And I think when we think about other verticals, they've already figured this out. If we think across your ski pass concept, or we think about amusement parks, they sell a day pass, you rock up, you buy a ticket. They sell season passes, which is effectively a membership for a season. But then mm -hmm. in addition to those membership passes, they also sell like a flash pass, right? Which you can jump the queue. So that goes back to that whole concept of getting premium service. So instead of having to wait in the customer service queue, I, immediately, I get an answer immediately because I'm a priority service. We know that consumer behavior is very clear on this point over and over again. People like to feel like a priority. 
They like to feel like a baller. They, even if it only costs them $10 a month to feel like a baller, that still makes them feel like a baller, right? Yep. And so that's the whole same thing with the Flash Pass. If I go to an amusement park, I don't really want to wait in the queue. Sure, I don't have to be a multimillionaire, but I'm going to have to splash out. I have to spend an extra 100 bucks or whatever it is to get the Flash sure. Pass. But man, does it make me feel like a baller when I walk past the several hundred other people in the queue that are having to wait between an hour and two hours per ride on a busy day, and I get to wait 10 minutes instead. And so I think this taps into that concept of, hey, I can jump the queue if I'm willing to pay for it. That, and that comes down to the service aspect. And that leads me to the next point, which is that by definition, that means if you are going to extend these benefits into all areas of your business, that means by definition, you have to be integrated into all areas of the commerce stack into all functions of the business. So it really needs to be integrated with customer service. It needs to be integrated in with marketing automation, it needs to be integrated into CDP, CRM, et cetera. Really, in order to make this a 360 degree view of the customer and to bring benefits to every single touch point that customer interacts with our business through, it really has to be a full, fully integrated suite of functionality that then allows us to extend those perks at every touch point. A hundred percent. And that's, you kind of nailed it on the head there. I always like to pitch Inveterate back in the early days, even before we even had a, a product that was still in development. We're really building two pieces of, uh, of software here. We're building the functionality to facilitate and enable these membership programs. And that's buying the actual membership, but then also giving those benefits after the fact when a customer or a member is shopping to be able to leverage it. But on the other side, we're also a data platform because we are, we're interacting with, with these brands and these merchants' top cohort of customers. And so these are their most valuable customers because I don't know about you, but I'm not going to sign up for a membership for a brand that I've never purchased from before. Very unlikely that's going to happen. We've seen it. There have been edge cases where that is true, but at the end of the day, I'm going to buy this membership and I'm going to sign up for these benefits because I know I love the product or because I want people to see that I'm using the product. And so all of a sudden now we are engaging with these high value customers on a very intimate level based on how they're behaving across the store, how they're interacting with these benefits, how they're sharing it, how they're just interacting with the program as a whole. And so how can we take that data and then now uh, allow the merchant or first package it in a way that the merchant can leverage it to make decisions on the program, but also how to improve that experience uh, for this very, very valuable cohort of customers uh, moving forward. And so that's where we go from, yeah, we just have some benefits, Amazon Prime, sign up, pay 10 bucks a year, 100 bucks a year, and you free two-day shipping and you get some Prime products, yeah, whatever. No, that's very basic. Now, how do we take that experience and form it into, now we are actually giving these customers what they want to see, what they want to experience. I and mean, it goes beyond transactions. And so if we want to give exclusive access to content or give them access to private channels, whether that's a, traditionally, it's always been Facebook groups or then it went to Slack groups, but now it's Discord groups where you're actually having conversations with other top members of these cohorts that, that really know the brand, that really are passionate about the brand. And then one, you get to use the feedback from those channels to, to guide your roadmap as a, as a brand, but, but two, you get to give them that sense of you're on the inside track. You really are part of what shapes this community. And so we always hear about community in e-commerce or just in, in retail in general. Everybody's trying to create community through user-generated content, through social media in general, or 
through customer service, how do we now create this, uh, th this very tight-knit group of people, grow that tight-knit group of people, and then make it this viral marketing effort where everybody wants to be a part of it? And so how do we achieve that? We give them these personalized experiences across their, the, their storefronts, the interactions that they're having with the brand. And now you're creating this really strong group that's advocates, but they're also repeat purchasers. And how often do you see brands that implement your platform add prize and delight elements to the membership that the customer doesn't think they're going to get or doesn't know that they're going to get, but ultimately the brand is constantly trying to think of creative ways to bring additional value to their members and will do surprise and delight. Let's say it's an event. Maybe it could be an online event, could might be an in-store event, something like that where they have a, I don't know, let's say you're an outdoor brand and you have, you have a, a professional rock climber come into one of your stores to teach you about rock climbing, helping you select gear, et cetera, et cetera. And it's access only to members, or it's an online event where you get some international star, or you get someone that's known within that community and you do a deal with them and you get them to come on, maybe do a bit of a spiel, tell their life story, whatever it is, and then answer questions for 15 minutes at the end online through, a, through an exclusive online event for members only. How often do you see brands focusing just on really clear tangibles versus Easter egg surprise and delight? And what does that mix typically look like for most brands? Do they start out with the basics and then they slowly dip their toes in the water of surprise and delight over time? Or do you encourage surprise and delight almost from day one? It's a, another great question. Jesus, Jason, you're bringing the heat today. The quick answer to that is <laughs> yes, they, most brands start with that easy transactional value that you're going to be receiving as a customer or as a member. If you're looking at the early access, member-only pricing, if we look at the Fabletics model, oh, if you're not a member, you're going to pay full price. If you're a member, you're going to pay a discounted price on, on and that's on a product basis or a collection basis. And so we see a lot of that. We also see a lot of the priority customer support and all of those good pieces. But we also see, and usually it's the more rebellious brands, and it's the brands that are willing to test new things, whether it's to their entire customer list or their entire member list or a cohort of those members based on the analytics that they're reading. And so you'll, you're going to see the surprise and delight, which is one of my favorite terms. And I think it's one of the most impactful things to creating a relationship with a customer or really anybody. And surprise and delight with your wife or your husband. There's nothing better than getting surprised with a nice dinner or roses or whatever it may be, a trip to the Bahamas or even just a trip to the bar on a Tuesday night. It's, those types of things really make a difference. And so when we look at the brands that are graduating from that level of Yes, transactional benefits are part of the membership program, Amazon Prime status, to now all of a sudden you're getting, we've created or made about a hundred of these amazing jackets and you get access to them exclusively. If you're not a member, you can't buy them. But everybody, you're going to get celebrities that are wearing these jackets and posting about it and they're going to be promoting the program. And you're like, all of a sudden you're like, I didn't even know this was coming. Another one would be like just basic promos. So these are all the transactional types of things. But then if we look at, and it's, it's easy to gravitate towards that celebrity or towards that influencer model, which of course everybody buys into because they model their lives after these people that they see online. But if we start thinking about someone that really likes a technical type of brand, they like the product, they are really passionate about the direction that they want to see that product go now on a quarterly basis. And you didn't know signing up, 
but you just got an invite to the Zoom call or to a Zoom call with the CEO of the company. And so there's a very select amount of people on here. And some might people say, oh, this is a focus group. It's not necessarily a focus group because it's a conversational environment where you're getting to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a CEO or with the head of product, whatever it may be at these direct consumer brands or at these retail brands, omni-channel brands, whatever, that you can now feel like you're influencing change or what you want to see as that top cohort of customers for that brand. So we do see a lot of that, but to answer your original question, it's definitely a transition or it's a graduation from transactional benefits to those experiential benefits. Makes sense. Now we've seen, this is probably a bit of a sensitive question at this particular point in time in the world, but with FTX going belly up, but certainly we saw over the last couple of years, particularly during COVID, et cetera, we saw NFTs becoming a big thing. We saw QR codes becoming a thing because everybody had to scan to pass and get in anywhere. So the world has become, if not wholly accepting of them, the world certainly knows how QR codes work now. They certainly, most people know how NFTs work now, even if they've never bought one and they don't necessarily have a digital wallet to store their NFTs in. But I, I can definitely see a world in the future at some stage, something like Inveterate, and, and I'd love you to maybe speak to this, where as part of the membership program, you get issued an NFT that then becomes your universal pass to the brand for physical events where it can be scanned at the door or get issued with a custom QR code that's representative of your membership, which again, could get scanned at the door, scanned to an event or scanned to get into a specific site, you could upload it. And so it feels like there is some overlapping technology here. And I know you guys are, this is very early days for you guys, but I'm guessing that you guys, in terms of your product development roadmap, must be thinking, how are we going to further over time merge the physical and the digital world? How are we going to create these tangible benefits? How are we going to record these tangible benefits? How are we going to add digital benefits that the customer can have in terms of digital assets that unlock certain things, uh, unlock features, unlock functions, perhaps even on the website? So uh, it feels very much like you guys would, looking forward, be that centralized hub of assets, both digital and physical, as part of the membership program. And you guys could get to the point where you're actually generating NFTs, minting NFTs on behalf of the customer, et cetera, and assigning value to those NFTs within the system. And then that allows the brand to seamlessly cross over online, offline, and offer all these unique benefits associated with being a member. So have you guys started to think about that at all yet? And is that on your radar? And are you excited about the future of this further blending of the digital world? Definitely a potentially controversial question. I will preface this up front with my disclaimer that I am a huge fan of cryptocurrencies, blockchain, everything in, under the sun when it comes to that realm. However, I think that first and foremost, yes, we have definitely looked at all of these different possibilities. How does that fit into the roadmap from a now, next, later perspective? But I think that we're still too early for for mass adoption when it comes to NFTs or crypto in general. I think that there has been a huge buzz about it, obviously with, with the recent current events, but at the same time, we're not at the point where we're going to be confident seeing, like I said, that mass adoption where it touches a large cohort of people outside of very niche groups. And so when we are looking at the long-term roadmap, sure, of course, we want to bridge that gap between physical and digital. But at this point right now, it's, if I asked my, my older sister or even my parents, 
what is an NFT? They're not going to know. And they shop at Bed Bath & Beyond. They shop at any of these general retail stores, Pottery Barn, whatever, you name it. They're never going to adopt that model. Or not, I shouldn't say never. They're not in the short term going to be adopting that, uh, that NFT model or that digital access model for uh, as part of a membership program or as something that they would want to offer their top cohort cohorts of uh, customers, even apparel brands. Now, if we look at a t-shirt brand or we look at a, and I like to use the example of shoe wear brands, or we look at food brands, anything CPG, basically those brands aren't going to benefit right now where we're at in 2022, almost 2023, probably in the next three to five years, they're not going to benefit from offering or investing in a, a technology like blockchain or cryptocurrency or NFTs to really entice their top members. And so that's like really the short of it for us. Now, if we talk about exclusive content or like exclusive digital content, that's something that we offer now. And if you want to become a member of our, our program as a direct consumer brand, we sell workout clothes, but we also sell digital content, whether that's workout videos or with access to your favorite influencer that puts out, puts out videos on a regular cadence, you can access those. We'll put them behind the wall of exclusive content. You have to be a member to access them. Once you sign up, now you can access all that content. So that's like really, I think, where we're at in the immediate right now in the near future. But when we start getting down that line, like five to 10 years from now, I'm very bullish on the, the NFT and the just the crypto world. Now, when we talk about the you know, direct consumer world. And then we talk about the retail, like the brick and mortar world. That's something that we're definitely focused on. And so how can we integrate with FI's POS system, for example? And now if you're shopping at, let's just pick a random brand, like Quicksilver, or actually let's do PacSun, not a, not a user of Invest, but a good example. You can buy online at PacSun, but you can also go into their stores and buy in the retail locations. They started as a retail brand, they're omni-channel now, but you have the ability to then use those membership benefits that you get online. But when you go into the store, they're able to, one, look up your information via email, via phone number, via QR code, and then you can still get the same benefits that you would have online as, as you would get in person. And so that's really, I think, the right now. That's where we're at. Is it going to change? Absolutely. Are we keeping our eyes on that and definitely prioritizing it in the roadmap as we see these trends unfold and as we see things change? Yes, 100%. So it really comes down to what is right in front of us? What is down the road a couple of months? What's down the road in a year? What's down the road in three years? Those are all the things that we're thinking about. And then how can we, one, promote the the growth of this ecosystem and this industry that we're in to where now everything is living this digital world? Absolutely. But I just don't think we're there yet. Yep. Totally agree. You've got, you have to prioritize, especially as a startup, which you guys are, you have to prioritize the functionality that your customers are asking for now, or that you think at least from a product development perspective is going to impact your customers in the now and by extension, their customers. So speaking of that, if we were to look out over the next say 12, 18 months, what are the top one to three features and functions that your customers are either asking for now and that you don't do, or they're already on your roadmap that are the most exciting to you. Obviously, don't expect you to give away the secret sauce entirely. But if we were to look out over that time horizon, 12 to 18 months, what are some of the top things that you think are important to bring to the platform to really add as much value to your platform as you possibly can to further differentiate yourself from loyalty or any other competing platforms out there? Yeah, no. 
Excellent question. I just, I like to keep my roadmap pretty close to my chest, but since we're friends, I'll, I guess I'll, uh, I'll give you some insight, but the, wow, you know, I appreciate it, mate. I think that this is the, it's honestly become an overused cliche with an e-commerce, but it's that personalization aspect of the buying experience. And so when you're paying for an, an exclusive, exclusive access to a program with the benefits and so forth, that's great, but everybody's still looking for more. When you go into the store traditionally, even if we look 10 years past, you go into the store, you have that face-to-face interaction, you're speaking with a sales representative or whoever's on the floor, they're going to help you find what you're looking for and so forth. Very, it's been very difficult to do that. Obviously, there are tools out there that, that make that possible. But if we look past that into the, the, the near future here, and this is like the, I like to call it the next. So I always break my roadmap out down or down by now, next, later. And so if we look at the next, not the later, crypto, that's later. If we look at the next, it's going to be the the ability to really personalize that experience. And are you a member of the program and you know that, or we know as the merchant that you like these products, you like these different types of experiences and so forth. How can I give that to you? What's the best thing in the world? When you go to, you know, to a club or you go to, to a bar and you frequent often and they already know what the drink is that you want. How do we then translate that to membership? So you're paying to be a member of this program, meaning that you want that heightened level of customer experience. And so now you're going to have different menus. You're going to have different navigations. You're going to have different conversations with the chat widget, which is actually a, could be a bot or it could be a a live agent on the other side. They already know what you want or what you're looking for. And that's what people are really paying for. Instead of access to say, yes, I'm a part of it. That's a big part of it. But two, it's I want to go there because they know what I want. And so how can we really shape that for them? And then if you back out from that and you look at, okay, let's look at the different tiers. Let's look at the best example in our world right now would be airlines. And you're part of their, you know, the Delta Sky Miles Club. And so you can earn your way up or you can pay to play. So you can purchase those miles. You can purchase to get that next status and so forth. And so how can we start facilitating that from an e-commerce perspective at a store that sells things that you like, obviously getting that priority access to things or whether it's customer service or whether it's products or whether it's ounce and savings, how do you one earn your way up or how do you pay to play? And so those are the big things right now that we have to give the merchant the ability to choose. They know their customers. They know their number one cohort return customer rate. Their, the lifetime value, how do they increase that? And it's by the giving them the ability to choose, is it pay to play or is it, is it pay to earn? And so that's really what we're focusing on is how can we enhance that for exactly what a merchant is looking for. And so I think that truly is, that's the future in the next 12 to 18 months. Sounds like a pretty solid roadmap, which makes sense considering you're the head of product. So you should know what's on your roadmap. So that is awesome to hear that that really is the focus. It's how can we bring even more flexibility to the platform in the ways that merchants want to deliver their membership program, right? And how they want to charge for their membership program. So that's a pretty solid roadmap for the next 12, 18 months. Now, as I understand it, you guys make your money by taking a cut of the membership fees. So basically you are tapping into the success of your merchants and the success of their membership program by charging 10% of all membership fees collected, no charge for first 50 member signups, as I understand it. So correct me if I'm wrong there, but that's your model. Your model is, hey, we wanna help you onboard a membership program into your business. 
we want to help you extend membership benefits to your customers. And if we're able to do that in a success for you, and you are starting to collect membership fees, then we simply clip the ticket as part of those fees that you're going to collect. Yeah, you nailed it there. I do want to reframe that to that reference though. It's we don't succeed if the merchant doesn't succeed. So we're fully invested in the merchant's success. And so that's maybe controversial in the SaaS world because SaaS is a service. You're providing them with a software that's going to help them get to their end goal. But at the same time, it's a large portion of what we do is working with our ICP merchants. And so our ideal customer profile merchants, and these are larger enterprise merchants to actually strategize on the actual initial build of the program, what makes the most sense for their customers, but then also the iteration from there. And so how can we continue to work with this merchant almost as an extension of their retention marketing team to help them one, have initial success, but have, uh, have success moving forward as well. And so we do offer that what that white glove service. And so, yes, it is 10% of that membership fee. But if they're not successful, that 10% of membership fee doesn't make a difference. The other thing that's really important that I think that there's an education gap would be, oh, 10% sounds really expensive. That, that, that's a good chunk of change. One, if we look at some of the loyalty programs or, or subscription apps that are out there, they're, they're charging five, 10, 15, $20,000 a month just to use their software. And they don't get the, the benefits of a white glove program. They might get an account manager that responds every three days. But either way, it's very expensive for those programs. But the other arm of this would be, okay, build it yourself. So you could build a custom program. You could use a Yapo and a recharge and a, a separate Stripe account. And you could invest all this money into the resources to design and develop and gain it. But those fees, especially if you're paying an agency, are very high. It would be much more expensive than 10% of the membership fee revenue. And I think that it's it's a very fair price for what we're offering. Not only do you get the facilitation of the, the software, but in actually deploying the program and using the program and iterating on the program, but you also get that customer success element where we're working really closely with your marketing team, whether it's founder-led or whether it's an enterprise level where they have full silo teams. We're working with you to really help take our knowledge that we've learned one over our entire careers because we've all worked in e-commerce forever. Everybody that works at Inveterate has spent their the majority of their careers in, in, in e-commerce and Shopify specifically, but also the learnings that we're getting from the brands that we're working with. Membership is a pretty new concept for direct-to-consumer, specifically within Shopify. And so we've been able to aggregate all of this information, all this data to be able to then use for building future programs. So I think that there's a lot of value in, in what we're trying to build here. And uh, you know what we're not just trying, really passionate about. This is our lives. Same with you, Jason, like e-commerce is our lives. This is what we spent how many years in and how can we continue to be at the tip of the spear for innovation within the strategies that, that that really work and convert for brands. Well, I knew that I'd been in e-commerce for a long time when I stopped measuring in years that I started measuring in decades. And I'm sure it's the same <laughs> for you guys. And look, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of knowledge under one roof over there at Inveterate. And I truly wish you guys every success. You are shaking up the industry and I can only hope that you bring the platform to other e-commerce platforms other than Shopify as well, somewhere on your roadmap. But we're now at the point of the pod where I get to turn the tables on myself. I get to hand the microphone over to you. I let you ask me one question, any question you like, oh, professional, personal, whatever you like. So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you. And I'm so thankful 
Andy Muntean from Inveterate. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been an enlightening discussion. Love what you guys are doing. Love the disrupt disruption you're bringing to the market. And I can't wait to see what some of the Inveterate brands bring to the subscription and uh, the membership space. Because really, when we think about what you guys offer, membership subscription model, and I think that a lot of brands are only just now starting to see the value of that both to their bottom line and instead of just hemorrhaging margin for no reason at all in a non-value add program, now they can actually use it, if not a profit center, then at least a break-even center where they can now add super tangible benefits for their customers. And it, by definition, makes them more sticky because the customer actually has some skin in the game. So love what you guys are doing. Over to you, Andy. What's your question for me? It's always funny when I get on that. Some of the, some of the, my favorite podcasts to go on are the ones where they hit me with the, the, the fun questions at the end, which I wasn't necessarily prepared for. But, uh, <laughs> I hate to jump this no, on you. No, no, I love it. I love it. Jason, we've both worked with a lot of brands. Obviously, you're an e-commerce OD. You've been around the game for a long time. Are there any specific brands right now, and you don't have to name them, but are, that are using new techniques to really grow their business, especially in an economic downturn. Are there any of these brands slash in the techniques that they're using that you're really excited about, obviously other than membership, that you think would be valuable to, to explore and, and are really cutting edge? Look, I think that membership in multiple different guises is actually bigger than what a lot of people think. If we look at the success of Costco or Price Club, or there's a lot of retail brands where you actually have to be a member even to shop with them. It's not just a value add, but it's it's a barrier to entry, right? Look at Costco being, I think they're in the top three or four retailers in the world in terms of global revenues. So we know this model works. We know it works. We've already talked about from the ski field to the amusement park to everything in between, we, to the entertainment book. We know that the concept of membership works. I think the brands that, that thrive and delight the most within those programs, because it's all fine and good to give someone what they've paid for. And here's our 15 bullet points of Amazon Prime. When you join up Amazon Prime, these are the 15 benefits you're going to get. Okay, at a bare minimum, I'm going to get these benefits, and that is that easily outpace the cost that I'm going to pay for mm -hmm. this program. And I, I think that most people setting up a good membership program would do that. They would add enough tangibles to that that they would easily justify whatever they're charging for their membership program. Because at the end of the day, oftentimes brands don't necessarily expect to fully cover the cost of running the program. But by definition, just gets a little bit of skin in the game by the customer and makes them that little bit stickier. And I think that there's tremendous value in that. Mm -hmm. But I think the brands that can, you know, and this has been true of loyalty programs since time immemorial, the brands that can bring tangible benefits to their program and can differentiate the most are the brands that are going to win. And that requires incredible creativity by a brand. And it requires marketing teams and branding teams and merchandising teams. It requires them all get working together to create. If your whole goal as a business, if your North Star, if you're at Amazon and your North Star is wherever, whatever department you work in, if your North Star is how can we bring more value to Prime members and you get a seat at the table to discuss that at every opportunity, then think that we have to mimic that model inside retail because the reality is that retail is going to undergo, I believe, an absolute quantum shift over the next decade. I think the vast majority of traditional retail is going to die. I think the me too retailers that are just simply reselling other people's goods 
the vast majority of those are going to go the way of the dodo. And I think it's largely because the physical retail experience is boring. It is old. It is legacy. It is sure some stores have flashy signage and maybe they have flashy shelving, but it's really it's it's not a good experience. And I mm-hmm. avoid physical retail like the plague as a result. I know a lot of people love to go to the malls and that's a activity for them. But I really think both in terms of physical retail, in terms of membership, loyalty, whatever it is that a brand is doing, unless they can figure out a way to, to differentiate and value add, what's going to happen over the next decade is that the manufacturers, wholesalers, and non-retailers, so retailers that are aggregators, those all those manufacturing and wholesale brands, they're going to go direct to consumer, right? And they're just going to eat the lunch of the retailers because they have the margin edge that the retailers, what I consider resellers, will never ever have. And so that that's that's a long-winded way of saying I think retail brands that cannot differentiate across range, that can't differentiate across customer experience, that can't differentiate across the, the value add of loyalty and memberships. I basically think if they can't differentiate across every single facet of what they do, they are sitting ducks for the manufacturers and wholesalers. A hundred percent. Jason, I got to ask, can I get one more question? Because I, I, th- that just set me on on a path here. I One, I fully agree with you. And that's been my thesis since I started my career. It's e-commerce is the future. Direct consumer is the future. Retail, brick and mortar, malls, you see them closing every freaking day. Like it's just, it's done. People are over it. Now let's throw a real like hitch in this plan the entire world shutting down for two years. And so now everybody wants to get out. They want to go do things again. Do you think that's going to delay the the velocity of e-commerce in maybe the short term? Or do you think that people are so used to the last two years of buying everything online, whether it's your freaking groceries or it's your clothes? Everybody's been buying online. Do you think we're going to see a, a minor setback for e-commerce? Or are we going to see something that, that everybody's used to and continues to push forward? Obviously, data will inform this and, and so forth. But w- what's your gut feeling on that? Yeah, look, I think the data globally from multiple different countries, multiple different sectors, and multiple different uh, global financial organizations, in, including the World Bank, etc., there has been quite a lot of data that's been collected over the last, say, six months that shows that the lingering COVID bump to e-commerce only equates to about 6%. So if we took straight line from 2012 to 2022 of e-commerce growth, penetration as a percentage of retail and the trajectory we were on, we got this massive bump during COVID, but we're returning back to the mean of that trajectory. And so I think, yeah, sure, there's, it's regionalized, it's country specific, all that sort of stuff. But what we are seeing is a massive return to physical retail. And I think that we see a whole lot of direct to consumer brands that are native direct to consumer brands from Allbirds to Casper to Eight Sleep to everybody else. And other half of these direct consumer brands have never made money. And some of them are going to go belly up. Absolutely no question about it. So do I think direct to consumer is the silver bullet for manufacturers? No, I don't. I still think you have to be I still think you have to build community. I still think you have to build brand. I still think you have to build brand affinity. I think you still have to surprise and delight. I don't think just the go-to-market model is enough on its own to allow you to be successful. And I think that, unfortunately, is what a lot of direct-to-consumer brands that were feasting on cheap VC money for years to keep them alive. And now all of a sudden they have to turn a profit. Otherwise the VC taps are going to get turned off. I think now the tide's gone out, we're seeing a whole lot of cases of the emperor having no clothes. And so do I think that direct to consumer is the silver bullet for all of retail? No, I don't. But I think that 
of the ones that survive and of the ones that are able to be creative enough to survive and create really amazing differentiated customer experiences, the ones that are direct to consumer that can do that, the ones that are direct to consumer that can build brand, the ones that are direct to consumer and can build a community around their brand, those are the ones that will ultimately have staying power because they have margin power. And so obviously if they're having to foot it with all the other retailers from a customer acquisition perspective and the CAC is ultimately the same roughly across everybody, then it's going to be a hard slog, right? But I think zero and first-party data, the brands that focus on that hard now before the death of third-party cookies actually hits and actually has a dire impact on their business. I think the level of zero and first-party data that platforms like you, like CDP platforms can gather and can collate and add as customer attributes that then can be leveraged, not from just a marketing perspective, but from an experiential perspective. Those are the brands that are going to win. And those are the ones that are going to be able to best contain their CAC, even if they continue to use performance marketing, because they're going to send highly refined cohorts of customers instead of just blindly trusting the Facebooks of the world and the Googles of the world and Mm -hmm. the Apples of the world and the Amazons of the world. Instead of just blindly trusting them for targeting, they're going to send them highly refined cohorts of customers that they want to find more of. And that to me is where the value lies in starting to go really hard at gathering zero and first party data by brands. Absolutely, zero party data. It's one of the things that is one, a, a huge driver of my roadmap is like, how do we collect the the information that from, from these members of these top cohorts of customers about what they want, right? And so let's just use a jewelry brand, for example. If uh, you become a member of the program, you answer the question, do you like silver? Or do you like gold? Now, surprise and delight, which is, again, one of my favorite terms that I think you love as well. Now, every quarter or every month, now you're getting, say you check silver. Now you're getting that silver free gift every month or every quarter. And you're like, fuck yeah, I love this because this is, and I'm not going to shop anywhere else because these people know exactly what I'm looking for. And so that, that kind of experience from a, and I like to call it a digital experience, even though you're getting a physical product is what really keeps people sticky. And so that everything you just said really spoke to me I and mean, it's hundred percent in line with what gets me excited about uh, transforming the loyalty space. Loyalty is like a, it's such a generic term, but how do we make that, that loyalty experience as elevated as possible so that we really give people what they want and what they're looking for? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do. We're all just trying to have that, that transmitter dump, whether it's dopamine or serotonin, every time that we are interacting with a brand or interacting with our family or interacting with a piece of content, that's all we're looking for. And how can we enhance that? Because that makes everyone's life better. Couldn't agree more. Andy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Look, I'd love to get you back on another 12, 18 months and we'll see just where Inveterate is at that time. We'll see how much of your roadmap you've been able to execute on. We'll talk about maybe some of the new sexy brands that have adopted your technology. And maybe, just maybe, you might be on a couple of other platforms by then to share with us as well. I'd love to hear the list of platforms you want me to go on because like I said, I use feedback to guide my uh, my roadmap. So Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to uh, continuing the conversation here in just a, a few short months. Are you a merchant or software vendor that is focused on e-commerce or omni-channel? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to see how we can help you scale your business.